0: This is Guns and Butter.
1: The class war is back in business. And it's back in business with a vengeance. But the class war is not employers against employees. And it's not uh, industry against labor. It's finance against the rest of the economy. So it's a new kind of a class war. It's uh, the fire sector, finance, insurance, and real estate, the property sector against the labor sector. And the class war is being fought not uh, in terms of employment or working conditions, but in terms of tax policy and financial policy.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, From Cold War to Class War. Dr. Hudson is a financial economist and historian. He is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend, a Wall Street financial analyst and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. His 1972 book, Superimperialism: The Economic Strategy of American Empire, is a critique of how the United States exploited foreign economies through the IMF and World Bank. He is also author of The Myth of Aid and Global Fracture, The New International Economic Order. On today's program, we discuss the liquidity crisis in the banking system, balance of payments crisis, the subprime mortgage debacle, demise of the dollar, inflation, hedge funds, the wiping out of credit, and stock market volatility. Dr. Hudson has been appointed Chief Economic Policy Advisor to the Kucinich for President campaign, and in that role, he is writing a new tax policy for the United States. Dr. Hudson, welcome again. Thank you. I noticed this is August 3rd, that the stock market again today dropped 280 points, and of course, last week, the last week in July, the same type of thing happened. Fundamentally, what do you think is going on with this volatile stock market?
1: Foreign investors uh, are wanting to move out of assets that are denominated in dollars, and American investors, uh, the large money managers, the mutual funds, the pension funds, and the hedge funds have decided that the dollar is going down over the long-term and the intermediate term, and now the short-term. America owes a trillion dollars in foreign debt to just a few central banks and uh, more than that to the whole world. There is no way in which the United States can pay the trillion dollars debt it owes to foreigners. The United States has made it clear to foreigners that even if it could pay, it has no intention of paying, and uh, that the foreigners can use these dollars to trade among themselves Uh, or whatever they want, but the United States will not let them buy American companies, will not let them buy American industry, uh, will not let them really use them for anything but to... uh uses their hold in their own reserves in the form of loans to the U.S. Treasury. So the foreign governments are saying, what on earth are we doing with all these dollars that are flowing into us by the balance of payments? We're going to stop uh, recycling them to America for treasuries. We're going to try to treat them like a hot potato. And, for instance, China will say, well, uh, we can't cash in the dollars for gold anymore, uh, like one could do before 1971 when uh, Nixon took the dollar off gold. So we're going to try to buy... Latin American, African, and Near Eastern raw materials uh, that we need over the long term, and uh, by companies in other countries. So they're selling. uh, They realize that the dollar is going to go down as foreigners are selling. Uh, The American firms have realized the writing on the wall, and they're trying to send all their money into uh, Europe, into Asia, into assets that are denominated in euros, or British sterling or Asian currencies, and the result is a huge outflow of money, and that's driving the dollar down. And when the dollar goes down, people think, well, what's the point of buying U.S. stocks, the U.S. bonds? If we buy a U.S. stock, even if the stock goes up 5%, if the dollar goes down 20%, we've lost 15%. So let's sell all the U.S. stocks. Uh, So there's an enormous foreign selling of U.S. stocks, but an even more enormous American selling of U.S. stocks is American uh, money managers move their money into foreign currencies. So the dollar is simply going down, way down.
0: Now, if money is flowing out of uh, the New York Stock Exchange, because most of the stocks traded there represent American assets, dollar-denominated assets, wouldn't that then mean that the stock markets in other countries would be rising?
1: you'd think so but there's a problem uh... there's a financial crisis in europe because the government the central bankers there and the money managers there uh... look to america as somehow uh... being the financial leader of the world and the german banks, for instance uh... put an enormous amount of money into subprime American mortgages. So this week, uh, Germany has uh, had the largest financial crisis since 1931. A major bank, the IKB Bank in Dusseldorf, uh, has gone bankrupt. The Financial Times uh, reports that it owes $23 billion of uh, losses on the uh, uh, subprime loans. So, when you have companies going bankrupt and markets going bankrupt, especially the mortgage market, which is larger than the entire uh, industrial sector put together, uh, then you're going to have a wiping out of credit. When there are bankruptcies that are highly pyramided and are financed by debt, Uh, to a large extent, that means that there's a break in the chain of payments and the companies that owe the debts can't pay. People have to all of a sudden begin liquidating the stocks they have and the assets they have. And so all over the world now, uh, Europe, uh, Asia, and America, the stocks are being thrown on the market because uh, there's a huge uh, liquidity crisis in uh, the banking system of this country. This is different from the balance of payments crisis and comes on top of it
0: now with regard to the subprime mortgage lending going sour or uh going belly up it sounds to me from what you're saying that this is not a problem that uh is only in the united states now has there been subprime lending in other countries
1: in a way, yes. There's been a, a re, there's certainly been a real estate bubble in other countries. Uh, for instance, uh, in Latvia. Uh, well, uh, t- take the case of the post Soviet economies when they got their freedom from. Russia in 1991, they found themselves without really much uh, much industry, because for 50 years, Stalin had tried, and I, I'm going to answer your question by explaining the background, Stalin had dispersed the industry of the Soviet Union to make one part in Russia, one part in Latvia, one part in Poland, one part in Cuba, perhaps, one part in East Germany. So the idea, he thought, was that the Soviet Union couldn't possibly break up, because if it did, then uh, all of these industrial industrial sectors uh would be unable to function as a single industry. Well, the Soviet Union did break up. And when it broke up, uh, each of these countries found themselves without any industry of their own, only with parts. So many of these uh, factories that made parts for uh, automobiles, parts for computers, uh, but not the rest of the automobile and not the rest of the computer, the the factories were sold for junk or, in some cases, uh, gentrified into uh, luxury housing. So the countries uh, had to import most of their consumer goods and uh, most of their uh, capital goods, uh, the machinery, uh, how did they do this? How did they run such a huge trade deficit? Almost no uh, no industrial exports at all, uh, only food and raw materials exports and heavy imports of consumer goods. What they did under uh, International Monetary Fund and World Bank advice was to begin opening up uh, their uh, housing market, their real estate market, and their public utilities. To foreign lenders or foreign investors. So they finance their trade deficit by selling off the real estate or more, letting their uh, own citizens borrow in the form of f- uh, foreign currency to buy uh, real estate. Well, in the Soviet Union, uh, there, had, there wasn't really any consumer banking or any industrial banking. So in Latvia, Lithuania, uh, Estonia, and other uh, countries that have gone neoliberal, uh, the Scandinavian banks and the German banks set up branches and began lending money to uh, people to buy their buildings and real estate. So the result uh, has been that the government has encouraged real estate bubbles in almost all of these countries. Countries. The real estate bubbles are basically denominated in foreign currency. For instance, 75% of the mortgages in Latvia are denominated in euros. Uh, and Latvia has not yet joined uh, the euro officially. So that means that there's, uh, as the euro goes up, uh, if the Latvians uh, have most of their relations with non-euro currencies, they're going to be squeezed. Uh, there's a huge construction going all over uh, Latvia. Uh, the tax rate on labor in Latvia, they've taken Steve Forbes' suggestion of a flat tax, and the flat tax is 60% on labor altogether. Uh, there's a 24% uh, Social Security tax wage withholding, plus a 25% uh, flat income tax, plus 9% uh, other Social Security tax uh, paid by the employee, plus uh, other taxes that bring the flat tax up to 60%. No one can hire labor when there's a 60% uh, tax rate because taxes uh, raise the price too high. So there's massive unemployment and heavy emigration from uh, these uh, countries, Uh, the Baltic countries and other post-Soviet countries. So what you're having is a huge real estate bubble funded by foreign debt, emigration, uh, especially of the skilled labor and uh, uh, the young labor under 35 who can speak foreign languages or learn them in schools. You have a brain drain, and uh, you have these economies being uh, hollowed out. So you have a situation where much of the money going in is going into an economy without any visible means of support, an economy with a chronic trade deficit, much like the United States, uh, an economy that uh, isn't really paying its own way except by borrowing uh, the amount of money that it needs to finance its imports. So the amazing thing is that the the balance of payments profile of the United States and the post Soviet economies uh, look remarkably similar. Is they're both being hollowed out.
0: Now you write that a high tax, a higher tax on real estate, actually leads to a lower rent prices, uh, lower prices, and that a lower taxes on real estate lead to higher prices. Could That's, you explain that?
1: Oh, all right. Suppose that a building uh, throws off a hundred thousand dollar rent rent per year, and suppose that because the uh, Country becomes more prosperous, or the city builds uh, roads uh, or bridges, suppose this rent doubles to two hundred thousand now uh, if the rent i 'm talking about is over and above expenses uh, the the sort of free ride just from the cha- just from the growth in land value, not talking about uh, the cost of building and the cost of maintenance uh, the The rent after expenses is sort of uh, the free lunch that the landlords get now uh, uh, the landlord has now a hundred thousand dollars in uh, extra income. If the government uh, taxes it away, uh, this away, uh, this recaptures this $100,000 that it's created, uh, the price of the building will remain uh, steady. However, if the government does not tax it, now uh, the landlord or a prospective buyer, uh, uh, let's say a prospective buyer of the building, will uh, go to the bank and uh, say, I want to buy that building. How much will you lend me? And instead of uh, the property yielding a $100,000, it'll yield uh, $200,000. So he can take out twice as large a loan. Now, the larger the loan somebody takes out to buy a building, and it could be a home, uh, the, large, the higher the price will be, because the price of uh, real estate in this country depends on how much the bank is going to lend you to buy it. Well, it's the same thing as a house. If you buy a house uh, th- with uh, enough rooms that, let's say, you'd have to pay $1,000 a month, y- you go to a bank and say, well, this is worth 100000 if I were to rent it, uh, but I'm going to live in it, uh, the bank will calculate uh, you know, how much you earn and how much you can afford to pay. Uh, and if the government uh, were to base all of its tax on the house, on real estate tax, then you wouldn't have to pay an income tax, uh, but you would have to pay a real estate tax. And by paying the tax, this money would not be available to be paid to the bank. No matter what, you're going to have the rental value there. The rent is going to be paid to somebody. Uh, the, that is the landlord is going to pay the rent to somebody. Either the landlord pays the rent over and above expenses uh, or the profit, you could say even the profit of the building. Either he's going to pay it in taxes to the uh, city or he's going to pay it to the bank as interest. Now, whatever the tax collector relinquishes is available to be capitalized into a larger loan and therefore to be turned into interest. So basically what you have in this country is a trans... Formation of the rental value of property into uh, interest and thereby into a higher uh, capitalization, uh, really, of land value. So the price of land goes up and up and up, uh, is more and more money is lent against it. And this doesn't really make the economy richer at all. People think they're getting richer because uh, they could have bought a house for 200000 and now it's worth 500000 But in fact, uh, it's the same land. It's the same building. They don't really have anything more physically than they had before. All they have is a house that is worth more, but they all, it's worth more because they owe that much more to the bank. So what they think is uh, an Increase in value for themselves is actually an increase in debt, and people have confused uh, an increase in debt uh, with an increase in actual wealth.
0: Exactly, and what this benefits really solely are the banks.
1: That's right. The banks end up with the money uh, today that used to be paid in taxes. It used to be that uh, when the landlords and the landowners, and I'm talking about uh, the big commercial buildings, uh, the public utilities, uh, the factories, uh, the large buildings, this money that used to be paid to the city instead now has to be paid by, essentially, income earners. Uh, which means that they have to earn more income in order to uh, uh, break even, and it means that they, uh, they're higher priced. They're priced out of international markets. There's no way that America can export manufactured goods when the workers have to pay uh, 40 or 50 percent of their income to cover their housing costs. And the reason their housing costs are so large is that the government has cut back the, uh, the tax on these costs. In other words, the government has shifted the tax off property onto labor, off real estate, and off the land specifically, because the largest, when when property goes up in value, the building doesn't grow, buildings depreciate, or at best are maintained, what really goes up is the land value everywhere, and you can certainly see that in New York. When the land, va- uh, the price of land goes up, this doesn't make the country richer. It just means that you have to go further and further into debt uh, to buy a building that's located on this land.
0: I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, From Cold War to Class War. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. And, of course, uh, as you've written, the overtaxation of labor leads to deindustrialization. That's right,
1: because other other countries don't have these expenses. Uh, for instance, in Germany, there's much more of a tradition of communal housing or co-op housing. Uh, rent uh, uh, absorbs only about 20% of German uh, wages, so uh, the German worker only has to pay... Half as much of uh, his income or her income in the form of uh, housing costs is uh, the American worker. And it used to be in the 19th century, people looked at the uh, wages of labor as essentially food or the price of grain. But now it's the the price of real estate, Uh, real estate and housing. Uh, is the major expense of uh, living in the United States over, overshadowing everything else. Uh, transportation goes with it. And uh, besides that, the other uh, costs that other governments uh, pick up here have to be paid by labor, for instance, medical costs, uh, which is why you have General Motors now almost begging the government to take a public health policy so that the corporations won't have to pay for the expense of health care that uh, foreign countries uh, have much cheaper and uh, paid for by the government, largely by a real estate tax, unless you're in the uh, post-Soviet economies.
0: Now, with regard to these recent uh, stock market drops, you see a fundamental problem here. You don't see these uh, multiple hundred-point drops in the Dow, let's say, as simply a correction. You see something fundamental happening there, don't you?
1: Yes, and what's fundamental is as serious today as when the United States pulled the dollar off gold in uh, August of 1971. It's not simply that American investors and foreign investors are moving out of stocks. They're moving out of the U.S. dollar because uh, the U.S. economy is so debt-ridden Uh, U.S. companies are so debt-ridden, and especially the U.S. housing market, and that means the banking system is uh, so insolvent that uh, they believe that America no longer can pay its way in the world. Already the United States owes over a trillion dollars to foreign uh, governments. There's no way, since America's already running a trade deficit, It's already uh, running a tourism deficit uh, that's increasing. Most of all, it's uh, increasing its military spending all over the world. All of these three things are pumping dollars into the world economy. And they're pumping the dollars in, but America isn't exporting anything to absorb the dollars. So what happens is that uh, foreigners who get these dollars turn them in for local currency, Uh, especially they're turning them in uh, to the European Central Bank for euros. When American tourists go to England, the uh, shopkeepers uh, take the money and they uh, take their payments in sterling. And uh, that means that the dollars are turned over to the Bank of England or the European uh, Central Bank. And the Central Bank doesn't have anything to do with them except to uh, recycle them by buying U.S. Treasury bonds, because that's what uh, governments uh, keep their reserves in, uh, securities of other governments. Well, uh, now the governments say, wait a minute. When we use the trade deficit and the dollars we get to buy Treasury bonds, we've funded the entire Iraq War. The Americans are not funding the Iraq War. China is funding it. Japan is funding it. Russia is funding it. Europe is funding it. And the Europeans and Chinese and Japanese don't like the Iraq war. So they say the more dollars we get, the more uh, we're lending to the Treasury to fund the uh, U.S. budget deficit that finances uh, a war with which we disagree, we're not going to take more. And so they say rather than lending to the government, let's begin to buy industry. So the government now says wait a minute, that's not free enterprise. You foreigners cannot use your dollars to buy american industry you cannot buy american resources you cannot buy forests you cannot buy oil you cannot buy anything that has a military uh... uh... use for instance you cannot buy bananas because maybe uh, you could feed bananas to a foreign army uh... the dollar is now become worthless in the world and that perception has spread throughout europe Asia, Latin America, and Africa, and the belief now is that the United States will default on its foreign debt, leaving its currency worthless and without an economy uh, to support itself, without an industrial base to provide the consumer goods for its people. Uh, the, the picture that foreigners now have of the American economy is something that, if it were said by an American presidential candidate, people would think that he was uh, crying doom and. Uh, but that's that's the fact, when you look at the statistics. You have, throughout much of the economy, negative equity now. People thought that they were getting rich uh, by borrowing money to buy real estate, by borrowing money to buy companies, or to borrow money and buy stocks and bonds. And they borrowed so much money and pushed the price up so far beyond uh, what uh, these companies or real estate or stocks and bonds could yield, that now uh, the price is collapsing and uh, they have negative equity. You have uh, Bear Stearns funds going uh, uh, bankrupt in the last few weeks. You even have uh, European companies that have invested in the market, uh, German banks uh, going bankrupt that have invested in uh, subprime loans. You have a classic uh, bursting of the bubble. And we're seeing now the whole economy is if the skin is being torn off, and you can see the skeleton of uh, how the uh, debt relationships are all of a sudden uh, being laid bare.
0: You mentioned uh, Bear Stearns. Now, um, a crisis developed in Australian hedge funds. What about these other... Uh, financial companies, J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, Citibank, Blackstone Group, KKR, etc., that there's trouble brewing, particularly in hedge funds. Can you explain what hedge funds are and what derivatives are?
1: Uh, A hedge fund borrows a few uh, billion dollars, you'll put uh, maybe $100 of your own down, and you'll borrow a billion dollars against that, and you will bet uh, that the price of one stock will go up uh, more than the price of another stock. Or you will uh, borrow, uh, say, in uh, Japanese yen at uh, a half a percent interest, which is what the Japanese banks uh, pay. You'll uh, you'll invest them in a uh, government bond yielding, say, 5%, and you'll hope to pocket the difference and make 4.5% on this money that you've borrowed and as long as the uh, currencies uh, remain stable essentially it's it, it's uh, a gamble based on statistical uh, charts and the charts uh, have formulas that are based on what happens if everything goes normal and right the same way it's been going all along. The charts don't tell you what happens when there's a sudden uh, bump in the system, just like uh, the weather charts don't tell you what happens if there's a global warming uh, system. So essentially what we're seeing is uh, global warming in the financial markets. Uh, A Change in the economic environment that the mathematical models used by the hedge funds didn 't anticipate, and all of a sudden it turns out they 've made a wrong bet uh, they 've borrowed say uh, five billion dollars uh, spent it on a bet, and uh, now they can 't uh, repay the five billion they borrowed because instead of doubling their money and making ten billion they 've actually uh lost a billion or two billion or even three billion. One German bank alone three days ago uh, said that it lost twenty three billion dollars just in u s subprime loans alone. This was a little German bank in Dusseldorf of all places that uh, most Germans that I speak to have uh, not even heard of. Uh, they're saying now that this uh, gambling on borrowing uh, German money at uh, one percentage point, uh, uh, you know, one, one interest rate, investing at uh, a high interest, uh, high risk rate, and then all of a sudden you find out, yes, you've got a higher interest rate, but you've uh, uh, lost all of your principal because what you've bought uh, uh, you know, did pay you high interest for a year and then it went bankrupt. All of a sudden, uh, these banks are going bankrupt, and uh, the same thing is happening in this country. Uh, it happened, uh, something like this happened uh, way back in 1980. Uh, First National Citibank, for instance, in 1980, and Chase made so many bad loans to third world countries that their entire capital was uh, negative uh, because their losses on these bonds uh, and loans that they'd made and on real estate loans they'd made uh, was larger than all the capital they had. If you want to find out really how the system works, you look at uh, what happened in Japan after 1990. Uh, The the Japanese banking system uh, was almost wiped out as uh, real estate values, which are 80% 80 of uh, bank loans, uh, went down uh, quarter after quarter, year after year for 15 years straight, uh, wiping out uh, almost all the uh, uh, equity and bank. So you have, uh, it's as if you, you uh, go to the bank, take out a personal loan, say you borrow $10,000, you put it in the stock market, and the stock goes down instead of up. Uh, you're left with a stock that's maybe worth $5,000, but you owe the bank 10000 but you can't pay. Uh, then uh, you get insolvent uh, or bankrupt, and the bank, gets to seize your property. Or suppose you thought you'd make money on a house, and you you buy uh, an apartment to rent out. You pay uh, $500,000 for an apartment uh, with borrowed money. Uh, you borrow the whole amount. But all of a sudden, uh, the economy begins to slow. Uh, nobody's going to buy the apartment from you. You find out that the uh, uh, interest rate you have to pay at 5% of $500,000, that's uh, about 25000 a year, you're not able to... Make a profit, and uh, uh, you default. You lose the building. Uh, you you can't pay the mortgage loan. The bank uh, takes back the building. Now, not only have you lost your money, uh, which you didn't have very much in it to begin with, but the bank uh, has made a loan of uh, uh, five hundred thousand, and now it finds that everybody's trying to sell property, and it finds that this house. Uh that it lent five hundred thousand against is only worth about uh four hundred thousand, maybe only three hundred thousand all of a sudden that means that uh the bank has been saving reserves uh, against losses, but the banks uh don't have enough reserves to cover all of these losses that they've made on a bad currency. A similar thing happens when the bank lends to Wall Street gamblers, and uh, it may lend, say, $10 billion to a hedge fund uh, to take a bet uh, in buying foreign currency or buying uh, buying uh, stocks and bonds. But uh, if, if a bank lends $10 billion, to a hedge fund. The hedge fund thinks they can make a few extra uh, percentage points by buying high-risk subprime loans, and then all of a sudden the loans go bad. They tell the bank, sorry, uh, you know, we've lost our equity, uh, but uh, we can't repay you the loan. The bank now finds, oh my God, we've lost uh, uh, the $10 billion loan we have is now worthless, and we only have a billion dollars worth of reserves. We're bust. That's the condition they're in.
0: So it's the banks that are lending the money to the hedge funds to make the expensive bets that they make. Now, I understand that hedge funds uh, can go broke overnight. I mean, they can become worthless, can't they?
1: Yes. Either they make a big killing, or it's all or nothing. So it's as if you have a hedge fund, as if all the hedge funds go to Las Vegas and uh, they all put the money on either red or black on, uh, on spinning the wheel and half the hedge funds are going to double their money because it's double or nothing but half the hedge funds are going to lose their money because somebody's uh, always on the other side of the trade so all this money that you have some of the hedge funds making somebody else is losing this money because they've bet against it so we know that they're an awful lot of losers and the question is uh... do some banks lend more money to losers than they uh... lend To uh, winners. And if only a few banks, you don't need all the banks to go under, half the banks. If only one American bank goes under, that creates a huge crisis that spreads throughout the entire uh, banking system. And all the banks now said, we're we're not lending to hedge funds at all because we don't have a clue. Uh, Under Alan Greenspan at the Federal Reserve, he said, uh, for a free market, we have to uh, not interfere at all. Uh, We don't want to know what they invest in. We don't want to know the statistics. Let them do whatever they want, the banks find, as a result of the Fed's lack of regulation, that the banks themselves have no idea at all what the hedge funds are doing. They have no idea how much the underlying value of uh, the money that they've lent out uh, is still intact, and so they 've all in the last few days said we 're not making any more loans for takeovers we 're not making any, uh, any more big capital loans. In fact, all the loans that we have uh, we 're calling them in, and we want them to be repaid now that they 're calling them in and say you have to re-, you know we 're not going to make you a uh, loan in uh, fact begin paying us the money we lent you to pay these hedge funds uh, are having to sell their stocks and sell their bonds. As they're selling the stocks and bonds, the price of these go down in the market, and that depresses the stock and bond market.
0: I see. So that's what's behind a lot of, these, um, a lot of this volatility in the stock market and these uh, multiple hundred-point drops.
1: That's right. You can be sure that it's not the earnings going up and down. The earnings are pretty steady. Uh, it's not the uh, sales. Uh, it's uh, basically the uh, who's gambled on what. Uh, And it's on the financial side of the equation that the volatility is coming.
0: Now, let me ask you this. I have uh, also heard that uh, a lot of these mergers and acquisitions are over with because uh, there's not going to be funding for them. But how dependent upon uh, hedge funds has the uh, global financial system become now if if they go away, is that going to be bad news?
1: not really uh, I mean there weren 't m- many hedge funds at all five years ago. The banking system 's been operating for uh, uh, many decades and hundreds of years uh, without hedge funds. so the banks don 't need uh, this business at all. The problem is that they 've lent so much money already to the hedge funds that how do you wind it down? Uh, how do you uh, get repaid? for the money you've lent uh, without these hedge funds having to uh, sell the stocks and bonds and assets and real estate that they have, and by selling them, depress the price and make it impossible for other uh, hedge funds uh, to repay the banks. Uh, It's a guaranteed uh, market crash that uh, is wiping out the capital, not only of the hedge funds, but of pension funds, mutual funds and ultimately the banks behind them and the banks are turning are asking the government to bail it out and you can be sure that the government is going to bail it out not by taxing finance or real estate but by heavier taxes on labor.
0: I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show From Cold War to Class War. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, this is just beginning. We don't know how this change in policy of the banks is going to end up, do we?
1: We have no idea at all, and there's no way of knowing uh, what triggers uh, a real collapse. And We haven't had a real collapse yet, like we had in October 1987. What triggers the collapse is a break in the chain of payments. Uh, Someone who can't pay very often as a result of an embezzlement or uh, something like Nick Leeson making a bad bet, doubling his bet, and covering it all up by uh, fiddling or not reporting accurately. Uh, These are seeming accidents uh, that always occur and bring the whole system down.
0: Now, isn't it true that at the end of each day there are systems of settlement where everybody has to figure out what's, you know, who's won, who's lost, and settle everything out. Now, if the financial system gets jammed up somehow...
1: It already is. Uh, These these settlements are way, way behind. Many of the hedge funds make their money by not settling, by uh, various subterfuges that are so technical I don't want to go into them now. But uh, the, the settlements have not been made for many uh, major stock transactions and and gambles. So there's an enormous amount of unsettled uh, bills that have accumulated that now the banks are saying, wait a minute, you're supposed to settle every day, and you're actually months behind. And this has uh, become a norm in this country. Now they're saying uh, you have to settle now, no more delays. And now that the banks are saying uh, you have to actually pay up, uh, it turns out that there's no money there to pay them. People are discovering that now, and that also is adding to the panic.
0: I see. So this panic is just beginning.
1: Yes. And so far, it's been covered. There is a panic, but it's been covered up by what people call the Plunge Protection Team, uh, organized by the U.S. Treasury under Polson. In other words, a lot of the big banks and the big brokerage houses have got together to try to puff up the market and pump enough credit into the market that they can uh, compensate for the money being withdrawn from it. But uh, people believe that there's, uh, this cannot possibly succeed in uh, fooling people for uh, more than a short period of time.
0: I was just about to ask you about the plunge protection team and whether or not it was a real uh, thing, but obviously uh, you think that this plunge protection team, probably headed up by the Secretary of the Treasury, Hank Paulson, that this is, in fact, uh, this is what they do.
1: All the banks and the investment banks realize that uh, they are threatened with uh, being wiped out if the market really goes down to... Uh, 6,000 or 7,000 dollars so they're all creating more credit to try, just to try to keep living in the short run. But all this credit they're creating uh, involves interest payments, it involves uh, more and more debt, so they're trying to get out of the debt situation by creating even more debt. And the government is, uh, to prevent people from seeing how bad the situation is, the Federal Reserve has stopped publishing the uh, figures of M3, that is the monetary figures. So the Fed will not tell you the statistics anymore that, uh, on what's happening. There's all of a sudden, the, the, uh, the Feds have turned off the statistical lights, and you have no idea at all uh, what's happening out there. Nobody has an idea. And the Fed doesn't have an idea because it doesn't want to collect uh, the statistics anymore. It says that if it collected statistics, people would get so upset that they'd panic even more.
0: So you mean to say that it's not just that they're not making these figures public, they're not even collecting the That's information? right.
1: They decided it's better to go into collective denial.
0: Wow, that really is scary.
1: Yes. And uh, the only person I think who the people who've raised this in Congress are Ron Paul and the Republicans and Dennis Kucinich and, and the Democrats. They're insisting that the M three figures be published again, and the Fed refuses.
0: Now, is the system then flooded with dollars? Is is hyperinflation of the dollar more likely than deflation?
1: There's been the most rapid inflation in the last 15 years of any time in history but the inflation has not gone into goods and services the inflation uh, because banks don't really lend very much for goods and services the inflation has been in housing prices stock and bond prices and most recently in the derivatives and uh, and gambles on stock and bond prices and uh, this uh, credit inflation uh, is almost immeasurable for instance every day people think that money spent on goods and services on food and housing and uh, transportation every day an entire years national income passes through the new york uh, clearinghouse just for uh, payments uh, for stocks bonds and packaged bank loans Uh, less than one percent of money in america is spent on goods and services 99.5% 99.5% is spent on financial transactions, and that's where the inflation has occurred. Okay. So the models people get is that they're taught in school, MV equals PT, or money times the velocity of turnover equals the price uh, times uh, output. Money is, uh, most money isn't spent on output. It's spent on assets and debts uh, and securities, and uh, that doesn't appear in the monetary formula.
0: Do you think, you sort of indicated that this plunge protection team is not going to be able to keep things floating uh, indefinitely. Do you see uh, a serious prospect of a near-term global economic collapse in the current worldwide financial uh, roller coaster?
1: We're seeing it almost in slow motion right now. It's sort of like uh, in astronomy, if you were seeing a supernova, explode, uh, light years away that have taken uh, many years to get here. You're seeing every day a crisis. For instance, three days ago, uh, a small bank in Dusseldorf, Germany, uh, turns out to have made a derivatives gamble in the U.S. subprime market and lost $23 billion. A small German bank uh, gambling in U.S. mortgages has created the largest German financial crisis since 1931. Uh, that's the kind of thing that can happen throughout uh, the world.
0: So now, do you, how do you see this decline? Do you think it's going to be sudden and cataclysmic? Or, or just
1: The idea that there's a business cycle has never been a realistic one. There's always an upsweep, a uh, business upsweep that's slow, and a very sudden uh, crisis. Upsweep that's slow, a sudden crisis, very much like a ratchet effect uh the down the down movement has always been uh much shorter than the long upsweep because it's uh, w- it wipes out uh credit it uh, extinguishes equity and it leads to negative negative balances in one's net worth uh which is called a negative equity so uh all downturns are quick and uh it's happening although it seems to be slow now uh if you look at, let's say on a world scale uh in the last 8 years George Bush, the eight years that he's uh, had, is only a speck in history, and yet he's almost destroyed America's world position uh, and set it on a position that it's so locked in, there is no uh, way of extricating itself except to make the position worse.
0: Uh, So you don't see the downturn as a long agony or a wasting away, but a more sudden.
1: There will be an after effect of a long numbness, uh, but uh, it will be uh, relatively sudden in historical terms. Uh, remember, we've, the upturn has been going on almost steadily since 1980. That's the longest upturn in history. It's taken us 27 years to get to the position we are now. You can be sure that the downturn is going to be much less than 27 years. The uh, abrupt downturn uh, may only take a year, but it will leave uh, a devastation that will last uh, over a decade in its wake.
0: Now you just mentioned George W. Bush and the uh, the wreckage that he has left after just uh, under eight years in office. What specifically were you referring to?
1: Mainly the war in Iraq.
0: How do you think that the uh, uh, government in the United States is going to handle mass foreclosures, possibly homelessness? Let's say for millions
1: like to do would be to raise the tax rate to 90 percent on the income of labor and uh, bail out all of the uh, banks and all of the rich people. It would essentially uh, take all the money away, uh, that America, the discretionary income that Americans have, and give it to Wall Street to bail them out so that Wall Street will not lose, only the people will lose.
0: So now, Dr. Hudson, if we look at what's happening internally here in the United States in terms of policy, and then worldwide, of course, politically, militarily, what are we looking at in the near term? The
1: class war is back in business, and it's back in business with a vengeance. But the class war is not employers against employees, and it's not uh, industry against labor. It's finance against the rest of the economy. So it's a new kind of a class war. It's uh, the fire sector, finance, insurance, and real estate. The property sector against the labor sector. And it's taking a form, the class war is being fought not uh, in terms of employment or working conditions, but in terms of tax policy and financial policy.
0: And uh, you obviously see the government taking the side of uh, finance.
1: Yes, it's total. Uh, the politicians uh, respond now almost totally to the campaign contributions. For instance, you see that in uh, the Democrat Chuck Schumer uh, this week, saying uh, uh, the rich should pay only half as high an in income tax as the poor. That's the official Democratic policy now. The higher the income, the lower the tax rate in order to encourage enterprise, by which, which is his euphemism for parasitism.
0: Are you uh, critical of industrial capital or uh, just finance capital? Uh,
1: Finance, a wonderful question. You're you're absolutely right. Uh, That uh, finance capital has uh, re-fanned the flames of antagonism between uh... industrial capital and its workforce and it's done so in a way that alan greenspan explained very clearly about uh... ten years ago he said why is it that uh... our productivity is going way up in this country and uh, the cost of living is going up, and uh, wages have not gone up at all since 1979. Why do we have this wonderful condition where the people aren't getting richer, only the rich are getting richer? And he said the reason is because of the high price of housing, that uh, people have had to go so deeply into debt to to get the mortgages to live where uh, where they are living that if they go on strike or if they protest their working conditions, Or if they say, I don't think you should push me around like that, if they get fired, they're two paychecks or three paychecks away from homelessness. And they owe so much money that that has become a kind of a strike-breaker, a voluntary strike-breaker, such as industrial capitalism never had. So it's finance capitalism that has... uh, turned the screws, making employees, uh, the middle class, uh, working class, everyone, uh, so dependent on their employers, so dependent on having a job, that they cannot afford the uh, interruption of income that would come uh, with a strike, or with being laid off, or with being fired.
0: I'm speaking with financial economist and historian, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show... From Cold War to Class War, I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Dr. Hudson, I understand that in addition to being a professor and an author and an economist, that you've uh, got a new job. You're going to be, what now, uh, working on the Kucinich campaign?
1: I've been uh, appointed his chief uh, economic advisor. Uh, for the Kucinich for President campaign. And our first job is to draw up a tax policy uh, for the United States. And it turns out that when we uh, get a group of uh, professors together, which we've already been uh, putting together, a group of business owners together, we find that the ideal tax policy turns out to be uh, that that America had 50 years ago, and even better at the very beginning of. Uh, the inception of the income tax in the 1910s, uh... at the time when the republicans themselves voted it and what is now considered radical or even socialist was the kind of tax policy that america used to have so for instance when the income tax was first applied uh... Only a small proportion of people had to pay the income tax, because there was a threshold. If you earned less than about uh, what would be $30,000 a year today, the first 30000 was not taxed, because that was considered to be basic living expense. You don't tax the basic living expense, because if you do that, you're going to increase the uh, cost of employing labor. To keep America competitive, the government did not tax the basic wage. It also treated all income is the same. For instance, uh, if you made capital gains and the value of your property went up, this increase in, in the balance sheet, this increase in value was treated the same as earned income. Either you can earn money and save $10,000, or the value of your house can go up by 10000 Uh, when you sell it. So uh, the capital gains were taxed at normal income. Today, capital gains are taxed at only half the earned income rate, and that favors property owners and speculators and the financial sector over living labor. Uh, There was another uh, factor. For instance, there was a progressive income tax. The whole essence of America's progressive era, the leading policy of that progressive era, was a progressive income tax. The idea that the rich should pay more uh, than the poor, because the idea was... Uh, that the same is uh, was followed in Europe. The same has been followed in every country from time immemorial. That the richer you are, the more of a stake you have in preserving society, and you also want to save society from grinding down an underclass, from uh, a situation where you deprive people of health deprive people of education, uh, that uh, it used to be that people would look at the labor force almost like you look at infrastructure. You wouldn't let a bridge run down, uh, unless you live in Minneapolis today, I guess. Uh, You wouldn't let machinery keep down. You keep it in working order. That means you have to keep uh, the uh, population in working order. You have to keep it healthy. You have to uh, provide uh... retirement income uh, you have to enable it to meet its basic needs uh... and so uh, when you earn a small income more of that income has to cover your basic needs uh... the rich have an extra income they'd pay more we want to uh... redraw the income tax schedules to restore uh... the fact that the rich pay more we also want to uh, reimpose the estate tax it's not a death tax Ninety-nine percent of Americans uh, die without having any kind of estate at all. Uh, The estate tax is the only way of closing the capital gains loophole whereby uh, people all their life have been able to avoid paying the capital gains at all, any tax at all. And now they transfer their property to their children or whoever they want, uh, also without ever having to pay any capital gains on it. So, what there has been in America in the last 50 years is an untaxing of wealth. We want to reverse that. There's been a tax shift off, uh, property onto labor. We want to unshift the tax system and, uh, restore it to what it was. Uh, the final, uh, major uh, plank for the tax is to undo the trick that Alan Greenspan uh, pulled uh, as head of the Greenspan Commission in 1982 he treated uh, Social Security and medical care not as a normal uh, part of government spending like paying interest on the federal debt or war but almost as a user fee as if the people have to pay uh, for their own medical care For their own uh, retirement. Uh, We want to uh, put Social Security and medical care back in the normal federal budget to be paid out of normal income tax. It was taken out of the federal budget so that you could impose the highest tax in America on uh, wage earners who earn less than $80,000 a year, which means just about all wage earners and exempt the uh, rich from having to pay any part of the budget that in the past would have gone to financing the social security system or medical care we want to close that loophole and uh, treat all money as uh, being the same. treat all income and tax the rich as well as the poor. Not only have the middle class taxed, not only have the working class tax but actually have the rich tax too, which used to be uh, traditional in every economy, but it has been made untraditional uh, by the tax shifts in uh, really in the last uh, Twenty-seven years. We also want to close uh, some of the uh, uh, most serious tax loopholes that have led to the deindustrialization of America. We want to reindustrialize the country so it can uh, produce enough to feed itself and uh, make the goods and services uh, it does. Uh, for one thing, we're going to close the real estate depreciation loophole. Uh, For instance, you can depreciate a building again and again and again. If you look at the national income statistics for the real estate sector, since World War II, the real estate sector has not paid income tax at all. And it hasn't because it pretends that the buildings are losing their value as they wear out. Well, in practice, we know that uh, uh, property has not gone down in value. It's gone up in value year after year for the last 57 years. The pretense for accounting purposes by real estate investors, by Donald Trump, is that they're losing their value. We're going to uh, get rid of this junk economics that is a travesty of economic reality, and we're going to make real economy uh, accounting. And uh, the real economy accounting is going to be a recognition that real estate goes up in value, not down in value for the absentee owners and for the speculators. We're also going to stop the deindustrialization of America by removing the deductibility of interest payments. In other words, uh, right now, uh, the government subsidizes going into debt. And it's uh, provided such great subsidies for America going into debt that we're now in a period of financial collapse uh, being threatened by the over-indebtedness of the country that's leading to negative equity. Uh, We're going to remove all of the small print of the tax loopholes uh, that enable people to avoid paying taxes by uh, going into debt, and we're going to close the offshore banking uh, uh, center loopholes, where they can pretend that the uh, money that they make is really done by their subsidiary in the Cayman Islands or Panama or Liberia, uh, instead of being made here. Uh, We're not going to let uh, fictitious accounting uh, warp the tax system anymore. So uh, I was uh, just added to the campaign two days ago uh, to become his economic advisor to mobilize probably the majority of academic, economics professors, all have agreed uh, with these basic principles. Even Milton Friedman has said that the least bad tax is a uh, tax on land values. Uh, so that even though the uh, libertarians uh, oppose uh, the idea of taxation generally, they realize that if you do need taxation, if If you don't want the bridges to fall down in Minneapolis and you want to keep up the infrastructure, the least bad tax is to tax uh, the land value. We're going to push basically for that. So my task for the balance of this month is going to be to put together the task force and to uh, uh, fill out the the tax proposals that I think are really going to throw down the gauntlet and to translate all of this rhetoric that one hears between uh, the polarization between rich and poor, uh, we're going to say, of course, it's a bad thing that the economy is polarizing between rich and poor. But there are reasons that's happening, and we're going to undo the reasons. We're going to unshift the tax system. We're going to restore the tax uh, uh, code, basically, to what it was when it made the middle class uh, wealthy and prosperous and he's on a number of congressional uh, financial committees, and we're going to have hearings on the tax plan, and we're going to have testimony, and we're going to produce statistics, so that when the government comes out with its statistical report, uh, Council of Economic Advisors report, we're going to come out with our report. We're going to essentially operate as a shadow government. Now that the Bush government has been pushing for junk economics, we're going to uh, put together a shadow economic policy based on reality economics.
0: Uh, Dr. Hudson, thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you very much, Bonnie. I appreciated uh, the discussion. something here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What it
0: is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. I've been speaking with Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show has been From Cold War to Class War. Dr. Hudson is a financial economist and historian. He is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend, a Wall Street financial analyst, and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. His 1972 book, Super-Imperialism, The Economic Strategy of American Empire, is a critique of how the United States exploited foreign economies through the IMF and World Bank. He is also author of The Myth of Aid and Global Fracture, The New International Economic Order. Dr. Hudson has been appointed Chief Economic Policy Advisor to the Kucinich for President campaign, and in that role, he is writing a new tax policy for the United States. Visit his website at www.michael-hudson.com. That's wwwmichael dot hudsoncom Today's program was co-produced by Todd Fletcher. Guns and Butter is produced, edited, and mixed by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. Our engineer is Bonnie Bone. To leave comments or order copies of shows, call 510-848-6767, extension 628. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.net Or visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.net. Hey, Hey, yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now, the question is are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. out with a spirit snake trying to steal your life you know what i'm saying look what inside yourself for peace give thanks live life and release you dig me you got me